Welcome to On The Spot. I'm Michael Walker, your host, and we are super excited today. We've got Reverend Christopher J. Respus in the house, man, and we are excited to be talking with him. We're going to get get into some great conversation as we talk about leadership, talk about the pandemic, just talk about mentorship, what it takes to do what he and others have achieved. So we are glad to have you here with us on the spot. Welcome, my brother. Welcome. Hey, hey, man. Listen, I'm honored to be here, brother. Uh, your sight for sore eyes, man. You know, this pandemic, brother, just didn't kind of wiped all kind of memories out, brother. You know, I know it, man. I know it. We all been hemmed in, right? <laughs> That's, it. <laughs> That's it. That's it, man. No, honored to be say, here, brother. Hemmed in and masked up trying to get through this pandemic, right? That's right. That's right, brother. Well, listen, I want to jump right in, man, because my listening audience, they want to hear from you. And Uh so I want to get right to it and give you all the time you need, man, to walk us through some important stops. So let me jump right in it. You know, the pandemic has placed numerous challenges on leaders, particularly at the local level in, in church ministry, whether that's at the local congregational level, whether that's at the local denominational level, level, the bottom line is the pandemic brought all sorts of challenges. Some of them new, some of them old, some of them more fleshed out, but the bottom line is it was challenging. What lessons did you learn during the pandemic? Yeah, uh, man, to say that it was challenging, man, is it's almost an understatement. Uh, just from for, from our standpoint, man, and and really having communicated with other pastors, frankly, who are at different levels of preparedness, um, you know, for something like that, man, it was incredibly challenging. And sadly, you know, we know that a lot of churches, man, closed their doors as a response of, as a result of it. Um, so it was destructive, you know, in many ways it was destructive. Um, you know, in terms of kind of like what did I learn in, uh, from the pandemic, one of the huge things, one of the huge takeaways, uh, Doc, is, is that technology, man, has to be a continuing part of the ministry conversation. Um, I think, you know, for a lot of people, uh, a lot of ministries, technology was anathema, right? That, that I think it was too closely married to the message, right? The methodology of, of uh, extending the message was just too closely aligned to the message itself. And some people thought of you using technology was like, you know, drinking the devil's brew, <laughs> you know? And, and I'll never forget a conversation I had with a wise gentleman who told me who shared with me uh, a piece of information that he read uh, and I think he said something like we're in a Google age but everybody's still holding on to Gutenberg um, I don't know if you remember who the guy who told me that I, uh, it was you <laughs> who said that to me and I think the pandemic uh, bore that out you know, that, that technology in the ministry has to be uh, part of the ongoing conversation uh, to, to be uh, effective, you know, uh, during at this time and certainly during a time like the pandemic. Um, one of the other things that I thought about uh, that, that I learned is that commitment is communicated by, through demonstration. That commitment is communicated through demonstration, man. Um, You know, the pandemic gave a lot of people, in my opinion, it's just my opinion, right? Gave a lot of people the opportunity to do some of what they was wanting to do anyway, but couldn't do it with a straight face. (laughs) You know know what I'm saying? Some people already had a foot out the door anyway. Some people were, you know, planning on worshiping at Mount Mattress anyway, and the pandemic gave them how to do that but there are a lot of folks man who would say oh i'm committed i'm all in and this is not i'm not laying this aside people making health decisions right i'm just saying um what i really saw was that people who were really all in and committed um and and felt like that they could be committed without taking a unnecessary health risk you know because we were really careful about not you know putting that kind of pressure on people and putting people in positions they felt unsafe. Um, but you really saw the commitment demonstrated. 
and people coming and singing their hearts out to a wall. You know, people coming and teaching their hearts out to a wall. Um, you know, so that the message might go out, man. And so I saw, I saw commitment. Um, you know, in a, in a new way. Um, not just what you say is really has to be communicated through um, your demonstration. Um, and then the last piece, and, and maybe this is an overarching thing, but I, I, I took away from this pandemic experience that ministry leaders really need to be nimble and able to pivot, right? You got to be able to adjust. You got to be able to um, read the sign of the times. You got to be able to, to deal with um, your decision-making man has to be of a type that you can make, um, I say quickly, but without rushing, you know, you have to make some, you know, Sunday come every week, you know, and so, so uh, people, people want to know what we doing Sunday, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> and so, you know, so folks need to be leaders, you know, ministry leaders got to be nimble and got to be quick. It can't take, you know, some decisions and, and things we need to do, we don't have 45 days to ponder it. We got to move in the next 48 hours, you know. So so those are some of the things, man, that, that I learned out of that pandemic and I'm taking away, uh, you know, from this experience. Oh, that's all good stuff. And I tell you what, that pivot button you hit that, at the last stop, that, that willingness to pivot, man could literally mean the difference between life and death come on yes brother absolutely we may not talk about that enough in the local ministry context but one thing you you spot on the pandemic revealed that at the top level of leadership that willingness to pivot could literally mean this just might be as boys men said the end of the road <laughs> End of the road, dog. and for and for a lot of people, it was. Yeah, it, 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 it sadly, and I and I don't say that flippantly. I mean, sadly, a lot of folks was because because you know, kind of put you in a position where you got to ask, okay, what am I really married to? You know, what I'm saying, what am I really married to? Who am I really married to? Am I I'm married to the way that this information is being, you know, the gospel is being shared or the ministry is being done. Or am I married to the master and I got to trust him to lead me uh, in the best way to get his message out under these circumstances, circumstances that are clearly less than ideal. Uh, and some folks just, you know, I, I, unfortunately, Doc, I think ended up discovering that they were more married to the methodology. Mm. That is they true. more you know, they're more mad at how they were doing it than, than what, you know, than the overarching goal of, you know, making disciples and sharing the gospel. There it is. I never will forget, man, when I was coming through, I was working on this very thing as I was thinking about what is ministry in the digital age. And I recall sharing with, um, with someone who had just published a book on what they were calling ministry in the future. And I said, you know, and this was right before COVID hit. I said, you know, if we don't figure something out about how to really maximize this digital age, I'm mighty afraid a lot of our congregations, a lot of our, you know, a lot of our folks who are boots on the ground doing great Christian ministry, parachurch work, that they're going to get left in the dust because this is where the world is headed. It's not mm -hmm. like it's just right here in Texas with us. No, this, this is where the world is headed and this this unwillingness to accept that the digital age is here yeah that we got cars around here driving themselves bro seriously <laughs> you see what i'm saying yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> we gotta think about that when it comes to what what ministry is we're speaking of pivot i'm gonna shift a little bit uh, because something happened during the pandemic that brought back a new discussion to the forefront, a, a national discussion that's been taking place. Skip Gates, the, you know, the great, um, uh, you know, a researcher and a, a household name to many folks, you know, Dr. Skip Gates put out again for PBS. It went back to the joint table and put out there for our viewing pleasure 
you know, the black church. And, and it yeah. brought back this, this national discussion. This, quite frankly, it was going on in, in any way at some level, but it really brought it back for to the forefront where folks started asking the question, well, you know, what's the state of the black church? What, what, you know, not, not what is it, what's the state of it? And a lot of those discussions have actually navigated around leadership. You know, what, what leadership is required, what leadership is necessary. You know, how would you describe the leadership of the black church in this current age that we're in? Wow. Um, you know, that's a, that's a heavy question. Um, you know, just on the surface, I think um, the leadership in the black church is evolving. Um, I think from a, from a preparatory standpoint, intellectual standpoint, academic standpoint, we have uh, far exceeded um, our predecessors. I mean, um, the, for, for a pastor to have a, a, a doctorate of any sort um, related to theology and ministry was rare. You know, uh, the reality is a, a lot of uh, those who had doctoral credentials were bringing their doctoral training from other fields. <laughs> you know, in many cases, education. Yep. Uh, secular education, you know, and so now, you know, you have a lot of younger guys that are valuing uh, formal theological training um, and, and bringing that uh, to bear when leading their congregations. Um, I do have some great concern about um, influence in the Black church, the Black church leadership, and, and what exactly is it that we anticipate them doing? And, um, and I said this is a heavy question because I think, um, you know, uh, what Gates was showing was, was not only um, enriching, uh, it, it, it made my heart feel warm. I grew up in the AME Zion Church. Uh, so, you know, to kind of get a reflection on, on yeah. the roots of the denomination. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. I was like, all right, y'all, you know, um, but try to, you know, take some of that and what uh, Black leaders were, say, in the civil rights era and marrying that now where um, our education uh, has increased, our earning capacity has increased, which has opened up different doors demographically. Um, marriage options have increased, you know, and children are growing up in a very different context, uh, which, which then puts, uh, in, my in my opinion, some Black pastors in some new, relatively uncharted areas as it relates to leading in the community, leading in the church, right? So, um, you know, when I was thinking upon, you know, as I ponder your question, uh, Pastor, it's, um, you know, we got this, 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 you know, dichotomy between urban and suburban. And in those different contexts, man, you know, what it means to be a black pastor can, can really, you know, be, be, you know, uh, opposite, you know? And yeah. so, you know, so to what extent, you know, is every black pastor called to be the leader of civil rights movement in their community? Um, what about spaces uh, that uh, 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 career experience, academic preparation, military experience, um, can put you in some different uh, networks that were no longer available to you. You know, can, is, is there value in that Black pastoral leader uh, influence in those areas, or, or is it only in a strict uh, area of uh, civil rights, you know? Right. Uh, and so that, I think, I think in, so when I think about it, I think it's evolving. We're, we're learning how to be leaders in some new context, which I think brings along with it some growing pains. Yeah, and I'm gonna be very transparent with you. I, I personally have struggled with, you know, 
does the black pastor box himself in to civil rights? Now, right. now that's not to say that civil rights is not still needed. Sure. But there's just so much going on pertaining to the, the whole advancement mm-hmm. of people as well as racial reconciliation as well as organizational reconciliation that boxing oneself in to, to this one sort of standard template that it, you know, if you are leading a black church, you should be deeply immersed in civil rights. I don't know that that does us a great service in this hour. And you're right. It's so complicated. And I have to ask the tough question because people want to know. So questions coming in for folks, tell me what they want to hear. But it is. It's it's hard to look at civil rights and 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 today and say, well, that's just what the black pastor should be like, super engaged in. Like he should be really versed in, you know, civil rights when, you know, it's it's not that we don't need it. Right. But when you when you use that dichotomy of urban versus suburban and thinking about, OK, how, how do we um, advance the cause of Christ without allowing these types of things to to box us in to where this is what all you know, this is all I'm doing. You know, I'm I'm turning every sermon into a civil rights discussion. I'm turning every sermon into you know, us against them. And, and, and I get it. Those do it. They're those who do it. Sure. But when you peel the layer back and said, now, wait a minute. Now, how did that, how did that lead somebody mm-hmm. to Christ? That's a real, that's where that, that's kind of where the rubber meet the road. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, that's it. <laughs> you know, and, and I am a guy as a, as, as one who studied theology, got the degree in it, who arguably can say, hey, I, I engage in public theology. I think we have much more to do in spaces where people are. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as opposed yeah. to him henpeck. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think, frankly, um, it, it, it does a disservice uh, when we remove ourselves from certain contexts where... Um, Arguably, let's say, you know, the civil rights context might be oversaturated, right? Um, you know what I'm saying? It's it's enough people arguing in that space. Uh, much like you know uh, the the Apostle Paul, you know, he he was a, you know, he was a, a Jew, you know, um, but he was also a Pharisee, you know, and he was well versed and uh, you know several languages and. and relate and and because he was a pharisee he could get into some spaces that other folks couldn't get into for the purposes of sharing the gospel and i think that that made to say it's complex it's complicated you know i think that's that tension between you know answering you know what is the black pastor the black leader you know in the community what are they really called to do? And let's say in the case of the church, how does that relate to the gospel, right? If, you know, how do we lead people to Christ while at the same time standing for justice? And I think um, for those of, you know, you, you talk about our training, you know, um, me as an attorney, right? Um, my space wasn't in constitutional law. My space was in, you know, business and corporate law and drafting contracts and stuff like that. Um, Maybe there's some value that can be added from that perspective, uh, which may be a space that we haven't always historically been in, but it puts, you know, me in a network where I can have some conversations that might have, may may not have ever happened, you know? And so that, so it's a challenge, man. But so that's why I say it's evolving, man. We're just trying to, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not our grandmama's neighborhood no more, right? It, we, we're in places, you know, that, that many of our forefathers couldn't even drive through, you know. You, you, we on the other side, on the right side of the gate, you know, the, and, and, and learning how to lead in these, you know, 
emerging context, man, is, is re- really what I, I see our um, leadership in the Black community. Well, following along Skip Gates' pattern, you know, Pew Research Center couldn't, couldn't, you know, spare themselves the opportunity to put a study together along these lines. And, and back yeah. in February last year, you know, they, they published a study. Rather, it was rather in-depth that, that took a look at the state of Black congregations post-George Floyd, mm-hmm. right? And so, obviously, uh, it's no newsflash to the world that, you know, the George Floyd incident was a pivotal moment that went around the globe. Right. So Pew Research, you know, they cashed in on the opportunity. Hey, let's take a look at what what's real. What are people thinking in black churches? And one of the things that came out of the study that I want to share with you and and then listening all these is, you know, they discovered that more than eighty six hundred Americans, black Americans, that was um, beliefs before COVID-19 and before George Floyd had shifted Mm. that, you know, a a in pandemic world and post George Floyd had created a certain set of dynamics that has caused black parishioners to rethink some things in that line was, you know, uh, black adults stated they were less likely to attend predominantly black churches. Uh, that, you know, 50% of young black adults said, you know, I don't necessarily have to attend a black church, but, but when I do attend, whether that's a few times a year or not, you know, I think the church has to address race, you know, they're not saying they're experts at anything, but they're like, I think the church has to address race. What we're seeing a lot of transition is in that Gen Z group that millennial group and the Gen X group, as they're all sort of living and having their being in the same era, uh, there's just change in the atmosphere. And folks are saying, you know what, what I once thought about the experience has been radically shifted now since I'm in a pandemic and I've, you know, we witnessed the, the George Floyd incident. I wonder to pastors, I wonder as I, as I pose this question to you as a pastor, when I say, what does this say to you? What I'm really thinking of and what I'm really sort of asking you is, is there any improvement we can make post George Floyd and pandemic? Cause I don't, I don't necessarily know that pandemic is, you know, forever gone, right? but we all had to make adjustments. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, Mike, I, um, now, as I think about that, you know, the first thing that kind of comes to mind um, was just the general uh, study about the, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, increasing, right? And the numbers of, of just people in general who no longer, who once had an affiliation with the church, uh, who no longer had or, or at least stated an affiliation with any faith system, Um a lot of it's probably disenchantment. A lot of it is, you know, having having a cultural perspective that's different from the theological perspective, you know, kind of playing a part in that. But as I think about um, the, the, the peace study that you just uh, referred to, you know, the first word that comes to my mind is relevance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, whether or not, uh, you know, the, the younger folks um, within our community our view in the church is relevant, you know, um, you know, there, there was once where there was, a, you, you may, I mean, you may recall that there was once a time where folks were debating whether or not hooping was still a valid, for, a necessary form of, of sermonic Oh, they know no they know doubt. Shall you, should you hoop or should you teach? It's still, yes, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, and, and for some of the young people, um, it's theatrics, right? Some is deeply, uh, you know, re- religious, deeply, you know, worship is worshipful, um, you know, it's, it's cultural for sure. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, a little, these little things, uh, these, well, I say little, they're significant to a lot of folks, but 
as it relates to this younger generation, man, like what what messaging is the church um, producing? How is the messaging being produced in a way that's winsome and uh, attractive? I mean, you know, drawing people in uh, to the overall gospel message. And I think, you know, a lot, there's some who feel like, you know, the messaging of the church is not relevant to their lives. Um, I think in the case, you know, you know, post George Floyd, um, a lot of our younger adults, you know, had a relatively rude awakening. Um, you know, they, they, many of them have grown up in context where they weren't the majority demographic. You know, they were they in the suburban areas, um, outlying areas, and they were getting along with the folks they grew up with. And now, you know, they've seen some some of the underside of our our nation's history kind of, you know, you know, rearing its head again. You know, I thought we were past that, you know. And so, um, you know, some of us were like, man, shoot, I'm from this place or that place. I knew this stuff was, it was just wait, waiting to happen. Waiting for an opportunity to come out, come out of the basement. <laughs> exactly. You know, we surprised somebody even got arrested, let alone worry about whether or not they were going to get convicted. You know, you know, but for the younger folks, this is a new season for them. And and so so is there any hope? Yeah, I, I do believe there is. But I think um, the, the real hope in turning this around, man, is being mindful that the messaging of the church is not first social, but theological. Right. You know, the, the message of the gospel is about God, you know, who loves in such a way that he gives his son to die for people, right? To pay a price they can't pay in order to reconcile this relationship. You know what I'm saying? And so, and from that and, 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 and all the related things, you know, we can spill over into the social things. But I think when we get that out of order, you know, we create this, um, this, ex this false expectation, you know, that, hey, theology is all about you know, me being treated right in the marketplace, where well, they spat on Jesus, right? I mean, so if 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 uh, getting being treated right is is the is the storyline, then the story's already messed up, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Yes. And, and yeah. It's yeah. Always complicated when you, when you even think through it on that note. As you as I was listening to you, I was the I was just in my mind hearing just how complicated it is to navigate through this. Yeah. With with so many, you know, different, for lack of better terms, generations alive at the same time. Mm -hmm. And Doc, you listen, a, a, a pastor leading at this time has to be savvy. You got to be wise. It's not even it's not only what to say, but when to say. it, Right. Um, sometimes, <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes you just need to be quiet. Right. I mean, you know, and sometimes and, and I think as leaders, sometimes we we are quick to want to insert ourselves to, to say our piece, to set the tone, to, to give a bright line for people to follow. And sometimes, man, we just need to like sit tight for a minute, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Right. We need to sit tight and let's see how this thing is going to unfold. Excuse me. So we don't end up finding ourselves being loud and wrong. Right. Having made certain kinds of assumptions, right, and then the facts turn out to be something other than what they are, or um, just being sure that we understand the position that we're taking, you, 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 yeah. you know. And um, and I can tell you during this pandemic, man, which is so you know, and the way that you you've you know included these two pivotal issues is is uncanny, man, because. In both situations, man, you really have to, um, you, you're taking, you know, you know, shots from, from both groups. When do we come back? Do we come back? When do you say something? Do we yeah. march, right? When we flipping tables or when we putting up barricades over the door? Like, you know, it's the, you know, it's so similar, man. And the way you, put, you know, phrase this is, 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 is wonderful, man. Um, because that pastor, man, has got to find that spot that Christ is leading them to and through 
Because otherwise, man, that pitfalls and potholes and mines mm. all around that stuff, man. And you step wrong and a segment of your church is, you know, upset, angry, oh, rebelling, yeah. you know, just ready to go up and on at you. Yep. They leading the <laughs> full-fledged revolt. That's it. <laughs> And I'm finding that to those very points, you got to take your time and go learn because you might not know all sides of that, that, that particular topic. And that could, you're right. That that could cause a lot of problems in your congregation because you wasn't versed enough and learned enough on the subject at, at a 10,000 square foot level, looking down at it. You just only looking at this small you know, side of this issue, and you miss around and said something, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that was going on. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. I ain't, I ain't take that back. You know. Yeah. Uh, you retract. Yeah. Retract. Yeah. Y'all, y'all mm-hmm. overlooked that one, and and <laughs> we're finding that we're in a culture today where folks are less forgiving on things that you've said. That's right. Uh, and you're right. The, the the pastor has to be so savvy that he has to um, really be careful before before they get out here and say something that could really cause a lot of problems uh, for the local ministry uh, itself. I got one more tough question related okay. to, to this to, to just racial matters. You know, mm-hmm. the black church has a long and deep, rich history of black preaching. I, I mean, quite frankly, and I'm not I'm just not saying this because I have I am identified uh, as black, according to some standards that were, that I had to walk into. Mm-hmm. When I look at sacred rhetoric. And who gives sacred rhetoric in the Come history on. of this nation? Come on, God. Not the best of the best have come out the black church. I mean, that's I'm just hands down. You talk Come about on. sacred rhetoric. So you talking about. Princes among princes. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> who, who had the ability to take a biblical account that's 2,000 years old, walk you back into 2,000 year setting, drop you in it, and then move you back into the future. Come on. Making a pit stop in your now. Come on, Doc. Using sacred rhetoric alone, Doc. Come on, man. You hadn't yeah. seen or heard the best of the best until you have tuned in to black preacher at its finest. Yeah, Doc. And we've had to talk about preaching to any topic. Yes. Black sacred rhetoric, man, has been one of the things that has, you know, as they say, what got me through. Oh, it was that sacred rhetoric down there, Mount. Uh, Mariah, yes, it. <laughs> that got me through the week, got me yes, through the sir. hump. Yeah, yeah. When you think about it as a leader, what role does the legacy, as well as the current state of black preaching, play in moving this nation forward with the racial challenges we have? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Dr. Michael. Um, man, nobody can pull that thing together like a show enough for real black preacher, man. I think the the delivery, the 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 um, the mixture of intellect, uh, poetry. Uh, comedy, comedic delivery. I mean, delivery, and I and I don't mean just. I'm talking about timing. That's what I'm looking for. Like almost like comedic timing, not with the joke, but just with the delivery. Like knowing how how to hold that tension and to let it go. Um, and then the courage to kind of to say what needs to be said. Um, I think black preaching. Uh, is a part of that solution, man. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a voice 
that needs to be uh, heard, spread, shared. Um, because there are things that are being said uh, in Black congregations that really supersede ethnicity. Um, and, and in many respects, it's Black because it's a, the, the, the delivery part is cultural. But it's gospel, right? I mean, it's just right, good right. preaching. I mean, like, this is just good preaching. And, and I think we are bene, uh, benefactors of a culture that has been um, tethered to unpacking the word of God such that, man, we don't have to look far to see, well, where's that in the text, right? I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is just Bible come alive, as you said, parking in your now, right? Coming through your now. Um, I think it's a voice to be shared and heard. Um, unfortunately, I think our current climate um, discounts this voice. And um, frankly, we could do a better job at leveraging that voice um, in other contexts, right? Like, because um, there are other social scenes, right? There, there, are other, there are other topics either related to it, even if it's just a tangential relationship, you know, to matters of like civil rights, where, our, where, where the, the, the black preacher can help bridge those gaps and create some space where people can move closer together right because there are things that we're going to say that some other folks are not going to say right right you know what i'm saying we're just going to say it right because it's either right or it's wrong and if it's wrong we need to say it's wrong we can't we can't um you know tiptoe around that and and i think whenever my experience has been when, when, whenever I've seen pastors deal directly with an issue that folks across uh, ethnic and demographic lines respond, they respond. And it's not always fighting. It is help me get where you are because right now this is where I am. That's right. But please, but please help me take a step in the right direction. So, man, I think it's, I think it's part of the solution. And I think um, the circumstances are such where the light is shining brighter on folks as you know who are doing it right, who are communicating it right, who whose lives line up with, with the message. And and the Lord is just giving them space, man. And we just need to leverage it well. That's that's good stuff. That's good stuff. I'm gonna pivot in these final in this final segment where we have you with us to talk a little bit about motivation for leadership and talk a little bit about mentoring. You know what motivated you to seek a leadership role? Man, you know, I'm gonna call you Mike now. Mike, now you know we <laughs> bro. <laughs> leadership in the church was the last thing on my mind, dog. I was like, hey, <laughs> I'm going to hell. I just want to make sure I don't go to hell, dog. Um <laughs> But you know what? Um, I grew up in the church. Um, I was I was kind of placed in some leadership roles, or at least in developmental things within the ministry that that would prepare me for leadership roles. And so I, I didn't think about it. when God called me to preach. That was when like he got serious, right? It's like that's when uh, leadership within the church became uh, uh, just. Is paramount, and and it was clear that man, God has something that He wants me to do, and so from that man, um, having having seen other men, pastors, you know, serving in the church, other uh, women leading in the church, and very, you know, doing it well in various ministry contexts, um, I didn't. I, I, I'm I'm an only child, right? So I was always comfortable being by myself. And so I never really had a mentor in in the sense that I had identified somebody that I had attached to or reached down back to me. I was always more influenced by peer mentors. 
Um, maybe, maybe folks that were, you know, a couple steps ahead of me, but, but I was always kind of watching and observing, you know, kind of seeing somebody I respected and just kind of watching what they did. And, um, those, those people's lives, man, just quietly living their life, doing what they felt like the Lord was calling them to do in a God honoring way and a respectful way, respectable way. Um, man, just put something in me that it just made me want to, um, if I, you know, if I had the chance, if God ever, you know, you know that prayer, Lord, if you ever, you know, when oh, I was having God. those kinds of kind of prayers and conversations with the Lord, I want to be like that. No, I want to do it like him. I want to be able to do it like her. And so it was, it was the people that were mentoring me from afar who never even knew that they were doing it. Uh, that I was looking at their lives and saying, man, I want, if I get the chance, I want to try to be like that. You know, that's so very important that you mentioned uh, that because that was literally my next question. Mm-hmm. Would you believe, do you believe mentoring helped you? But I want to pause and put a fork in it for a moment and highlight something you said that I really believe the listening audience, particularly some young aspiring leader needs to really hear clearly what you said and not speed by it. When you mentioned being mentored from afar. It's important for somebody in the, in the listening audience when this gets out uh, to hear that number one, mentorship truly is a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. This is not something that's always really been around in a very organized way. Number two, there's more ways to mentor. There's more than one way to be mentored. You don't always have to be in front of in close relationship with the, with the mentor that many times you can be mentored by watching the life and legacy of a person who you aspire to be like Mm -hmm. in terms of some things you're trying to do. And there's real value. And you're sitting here with us, a living, breathing testimony, a witness that there's real value in mentorship from afar. That there's a real debate going on right now among the organizational theorists you know, I, I hang out in all these different camps and there's a real debate going on about, you know, what is the real value of mentorship if you're not in front of or, you know, are truly connected to that person, whether they know yeah. your name, you know them, y'all going to lunch or whatever. And I keep arguing to, with some of my folks, and I do have to say that argue, <laughs> there is value in yeah. mentorship afar. Yes. <laughs> yes. Listen, man. I mean, um, many of us, um, we're not trained into how to approach uh, establishing a mentor relationship. For some of us, it's enough to even try to pick up the phone and call somebody and ask them a question. And so if, if I had to wait until I had enough courage or found, found the right person who could open the door for me to approach this person, some of this stuff might not have ever happened. Right. And thankfully, you know, um, I was in a position where I could observe and, and had enough discernment to know who to try to emulate and who not to, you know, to, to be, you know, and, and had a sense of, of, of what I thought was right, you know, good, you know, honorable, God honoring, you know, and I could discern that, man. But listen, um, there's so many people. Uh, so I've been watching March Madness, right? And so there, uh, folks are building the ideal basketball player, right? Got somebody else's hand, somebody else's body, somebody right. else's body, all this stuff, right? Well, that's kind of how I was looking at, you know, people in the in the marketplace, people in the church. And I said, man, if I could, if I could break down the word like this one, if I could serve with the humility of this one, if I could preach like this one, if I could relate to people like that one. And these are folks that I didn't know, but I saw them at work. I saw them do it. I read their books, right? I saw their videos. You know what I'm saying? I, I talked to people who knew them, you know, and, and they would tell me some of the war stories and some of the glory stories. And and I learned, man, and, and, and it, listen, had it not been for for mentoring from afar, I'd be left to rely on my own wit. And that wouldn't be good at all. 
shipwrecked in a hurry. In a hurry. <laughs> in a hurry. Ship it totally wrecked. Now, now here, here's something I, I, I find as a really neat question for you. You know, if you could speak to the 21-year-old Christopher J. Respis, what advice would you give him? Lord have mercy. Um, <laughs> I'd be like, go to church. <laughs> you know, if 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 I if I could speak back to seriously, I'll just decide. You know, I say read more. I, I would say read more. Um, that was a struggle of mine, but knowing what I know now, uh, the context that I'm in, the way the culture has gone, uh, being. Uh, better versed in different things um, would be helpful, uh, extremely so, um, even, so that you can, you know, cogently participate in conversation, right? And, and when those doors open, uh, to, to be able to seize those opportunities to influence somebody, right? Uh, but you got, you, got, you got to know what you're talking about. You know, you got to at least have enough of an understanding. So, um, I would I would read well, uh, read more rather, and and probably um, exercise a little. The second thing would be to exercise more courage and try some new things. Um, you know, I tend you know coming from North Carolina, man, I'm pretty much street you know meat potatoes and biscuits, right? I mean, you know, kind of stay in this vein, you know, and um, that works. Yeah, that's it. Let's go with that. Ain't no sense messing with it. Um, but to try some new things because, again, with a culture that has grown to be more multicultural, more multi-ethnic, um, and being and get and afforded the opportunity to walk in some spaces that those before me hadn't walked in, I think being a, again this adds to being relatable. You know, being able to relate to people and to not respond in a way that's off-putting you know, something they might say or something that, that, that they might do. Um, I think that would, would, would be good for me. Um, and the last thing I think I would say is um, be patient. Mm. You know, be patient. Like, you no, know, you don't have to do it all right now. Um you know, and that, and and I guess maybe if I had to qualify that patience, man, or maybe exercise godly patience. Okay. You know, you know what I'm saying? To 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 know when, you know, to trust the Lord in his time and to know when to move, know when to stand still. You know what I mean? To, right. not, to not just be a Tasmanian devil because you got a great idea. You're just gonna plow through and make it happen. Um, because there's some things that that I could learn and should have learned along the journey. Um that now, in some respects, you kind of got to go back and relearn it or revisit it because I was too busy blowing by it, trying to do what I wanted to do, you know. And so I think, man, godly, having some godly patience to move when it's time to move, stand still when it's time to stand still. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. What, what, would, what advice would you give to some young aspiring leader? What, what would you share with him or her that? that could help them on this journey into what, what we call leadership. Yeah. Um, I, I think now I, I would say have the courage of your knowledge. Um, you know, Paul tells Timothy, don't let anybody despise you. <laughs> right. Um, right. You know, don't, but, but have the courage of your knowledge, right. Be sure you, you, you're studying and, and knowing, you know, what it is that you pro profess to know. Right. Um, and, and, and to allow what it is that you do know that lead you to make great decisions. I think the second thing would be about service. Um, stay humble enough to still serve. You may be leading, but you still need to serve. And if you're not in the leadership uh, position now, you definitely need to be serving because it helps to check your motive. Right. Um, there are some people who want to lead just because of the prestige and the title and the influence. Well, a leader is responsible for the people that they lead, right? And I think right. in the context of the church and ministry, God is holding us accountable for the people that we lead. And so if we're in it just for ourselves, 
right? We may find ourselves in leadership, but doing damage to the ones that we need to be taking care of and, and stewarding and leading. And and I found, you know, by serving, um, you know, fine, even if it's the second chair, but serving nonetheless um, kind of keeps you humble because if you can't stay there long enough to serve, you definitely can't stay there long enough to lead. Because um, this, you know, because this ain't no sipping tea. Um, you know, I, I would do that. And then for the, again, to, to restate what you said about mentoring, I would, I would find somebody, even if it's from afar, that you can uh, look to, um, just, you know, compare yourself to, um, even look at how they make certain kinds of decisions and decide how you would answer that particular question or approach that particular issue because then you're mentally engaging with not only what you see happening but also you're learning how to make leadership decisions and learning how to see that it's not just the question but they're offshoots of the question there are consequences that may not be relevant you know uh, obvious at the time that you can can think through at a low cost because that's the leader and you're the one just, <laughs> you, you, you get to fail without nobody, you know, holding it against you, right? You can, you can work with that. So that's what I would tell them. That is all good stuff. And everything you've shared with us today has just been awesome, man. And I, I am thoroughly uh, confident that our listening audience will enjoy uh, listening to this particular podcast because there's just so many gems and nuggets you dropped and just walk us through it, man, with such eloquence and grace and humility. So we thank you so much for taking a little time out your busy schedule to come on to on the spot and hang out with us for a little time and talk to us and just help us to uh, to be inspired to to lead with courage and do it with a measure of humility uh, that can honor the Lord. And we so we thank you so much for your time. Man, so honored to be here, man, and I'm flattered at the invitation, and I love you. You already know that, and uh, I just pray God's, you know, choices, blessings upon you and what he's doing, not only through the podcast, but just through your ministry and your life, brother. Thank you so much. Well, listen to our listening audience, as always, until I get a chance to talk with you again, I'll see you around like a donut.